Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you guys are all doing well. Let me ask you a favor. If after listening to this video or watching it, you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, hit that like button, consider subscribing, and leave me a message. Now, let's dig in. The case of the four slain University of Idaho students who died on November 13th of 2022 continues to grip the nation and the world. When young, innocent students are done in as they sleep by a mysterious nightcrawler, it gets everyone's attention. For the seven weeks preceding suspect Brian Koberger's arrest, this was a whodunit that had everyone within the student's social circle falling under suspicion. All that time, Koberger was just nine miles away, studying criminology at Washington State University, grading his students' papers, and listening to discussions about the crime in his own classes without participating. Why didn't he contribute to those discussions? Was he worried he could not control his enthusiasm, his duper's delight? Did he think he might come across as too animated? Or was he afraid he might mention a detail of the crime that law enforcement hasn't yet disclosed? Those would be my guesses. One of the people who was keeping close tabs on the case is a woman named Carrie Rawson. Rawson is the daughter of the infamous serialist Dennis Rader, who nicknamed himself BTK. One of Koberger's professors at DeSales University in Pennsylvania, where he obtained his bachelor's and master's degrees, is Catherine Ramsland. Ramsland interviewed Dennis Rader for a book she co-authored about him. It is almost certain that Brian Koberger spent time studying Dennis Rader under Ramsland. Carrie Rawson told News Nation that her stomach turned when she learned about the link between her serialist father and Koberger. She said, and I quote, Personally, my first reaction was just like my stomach turned, and I literally physically got ill knowing there was now a connection back to Ramsland, and she connects to my father. It was just a lot. Well, obviously, we know he studied my father in criminology classes, end quote. Carrie Rawson thought it possible that Brian Koberger could have even been in contact with her father. She said this, he probably studied him heavier since he had Ramsland as a professor, but we need to find out if there's a deeper connection. It's hard to be the kid of this guy and live with this, you know? And then see somebody else go do this and wonder, did your dad influence him? Did your dad talk to him? Was he studying my father outside of academics? Am I ever going to get answers to that? I don't know. End quote. If we look at Dennis Rader's modus operandi, it may help shed light on Brian Koberger's thus far unknown motive for the crime in Moscow and his MO. But let me just say that Brian Koberger is presumed innocent at this time, and we haven't seen the evidence, so I'm not saying he's guilty. But because he is the police's one and only suspect, I will be discussing him as the possible offender. Back to Dennis Rader. Rader confessed 
to doing it in 10 people in the Wichita, Kansas area between 1974 and 1991. And he is one of the most hunting, dangerous, and horrific serialists of all time. Carrie Rawson, her mother, and her brother never had an inkling that their patriarch was spending time doing people in. He managed to present a face to the family and his community of a loving family man. No one had a clue that he was capable of such horrors. Raider's criminal life began in early years when he engaged in harming cats and dogs. He used ropes in barns to do them in. I can't even talk about this stuff without feeling sick to my stomach. He also had a thing for ladies' undergarments. After attending Kansas Wesleyan University between 1965 and 1966, Raider was in the Air Force until 1970. During this period, he would secretly look in windows to watch women. He also broke into homes to steal women's undergarments. Sometime during the 70s, he got married to a woman named Paula and had his son and daughter. Throughout his life, Raider had many different jobs. Like Brian Koberger, Raider once worked in security. Raider held various positions at ADT Security. I'm sure ADT is going to be thrilled with that endorsement. And when Raider got a position as a dog catcher and compliance officer for the compliance department in Park City, a Wichita suburb, people who dealt with him described Raider as being extremely strict in his position and even overzealous. One neighbor claimed Raider euthanized her dog for no reason. In my opinion, Raider should be subjected to that as well. Shame on him. Clinical psychologist Gary Brucato of Columbia University, who has recently been a guest on some true crime YouTube channels and whose work focuses on the emergence of psychotic illness, including schizophrenia and psychotic affective disorders and severe violence in the context of psychosis, personality disorders, and other factors, said before Koberger was arrested or even had his name out there that whoever committed the crime in Moscow was likely a male who led a very regimented lifestyle. We've heard from a student of Brian Koberger that he was a very tough grader and would leave long comments, critical notes on essays and tests. That same student noticed that after the crime in Moscow, Koberger began giving better grades and stopped writing any comments at all in the student's work. If Koberger did study Dennis Rader, he would have known that Rader meticulously planned his crimes. Aside from his first crime, which was committed at night, Rader would attack his victims during the day. He considered each crime a project, and he would plan multiple projects at any given time. He once said that he trawled through many women, meaning he followed them around, learned about their schedules, and then selected a few for his projects. He would also name each planned crime, as in Project Piano, which he used when he planned to harm a victim who played the piano. Rader would go to his local library to glean any information he could on them. He would even visit their workplaces. By the time he was ready to commit his crime, Rader knew when his victims would get home from work 
and he also knew who lived with them. After his first few crimes, Raider started making it a habit to bring a hit kit with him. In it, he carried duct tape, rope, and a screwdriver, and he wore what he referred to as his hit clothes, and he would later dispose of those items. He was also known to take souvenirs from his victims in the way of underwear, driver's license, and other personal items. As more people who knew or interacted with Brian Koberger are talking about their experiences with him, we're learning that he was something of a night owl. Ben Roberts, one of his classmates at Washington State University, said that Brian Koberger often turned up to class looking exhausted and holding a cup of coffee in his hand. This could be down to being a grad student, as well as a teaching assistant, but it could also point to someone who was staying up all night. A neighbor who lived below Koberger in the apartment complex in Pullman, Washington, told the New York Post that she would hear Koberger tinkering in his apartment at odd hours of the day. She said, and I quote, he's normally a very late night person, going to the bathroom and vacuuming at 1 or 12 in the morning, could Koberger have been so exhausted because he was busy at night leading a second life? Law enforcement officials believe Koberger had been watching the female victims and following them around in the weeks before the crime in Moscow. Many retired detectives on YouTube have honed in on that tree line at the back of the girl's off-campus rental home, saying that it offered the perfect perch for someone wanting to peek into the windows and watch the girls in the kitchen and in Kaylee Gonsalves's upstairs bedroom with the balcony. Could Koberger have been spending the hours when he should have been sleeping, concealed in that tree line, watching his future victims in the same manner that Dennis Rader did? Is that why Koberger always looked so tired. The other thing about Brian Koberger's late-night lifestyle and his vacuuming that strikes me is this. We've heard from one of Brian's aunts that he had very strict rules when it came to his vegan diet and would only eat food prepared in pots that had never been used to cook meat. And by the way, I do not think this pot situation was due to Koberger following an orthodox lifestyle or a kosher diet. DeSales University, where Koberger studied, is a Catholic institution. Of course, that doesn't mean 100% that Koberger is Catholic, but I would think he probably is. I'm wondering if his strict rule about the pot and his late-night vacuuming might be clues that he suffers from some degree of obsessive-compulsive disorder or OCD. It isn't, quote, normal to vacuum in the wee hours of the night unless you are someone whose schedule forces you to. While it's possible this is why Koberger was cleaning his floors late at night, it seems unlikely. Most people who live in apartment complexes and who are considerate usually avoid making loud noises late at night so as not to disturb their neighbors. The possibilities are that Brian Koberger is a tad OCD, and he doesn't consider his neighbor's feelings, that he's unable to pick up on the normal rules of social engagement, wherein a person recognizes that loud noises at night will likely disturb any sleeping neighbors, that he suffers from insomnia, that he had so much work to do for his studies 
and his teaching position so that he had to do his chores late at night. Or, again, he could have been spending those hours of darkness watching the students in Moscow. Another thing that Koberger may have done in imitation of Dennis Rader, is communicating anonymously about the crime. There are Reddit posts floating around that many believe were done by Brian Koberger. One of them under the name of Inside Looking said this, Speculation. Killer went to kitchen. Then to EX room would mean Ethan and Zana's room, and MK room would mean Maddie and Kaylee room. And when someone wrote on Reddit that they wanted to hear everyone's thoughts on what the perpetrator did or felt in the immediate hours after the crime, that same person going by inside looking commented with this, rush of adrenaline, very excited. This comment would match what some of Koberger's classmates at Washington State University, said about his mood after the crime in Moscow was announced. They said he seemed a lot more animated, talkative, and upbeat. On yet another Reddit post where someone was talking about how the students were done in, inside looking, commented with a note that indicated that one sharp-edged object did all four students in. And when still others on Reddit were wondering if more than one person committed the crime, Inside Looking made it known that it was one person with one sharp-edged object. Then, when people were wondering where that sharp-edged object is, Inside Looking said that the perpetrator took it with him. And we know that the cops have not found that object thus far. These notes or posts definitely feel like they could have come straight from the perpetrator's hand. I hope that the FBI has a way to trace the account of inside looking so that they can either confirm it was Koberger or rule him out. Such comments, if they were made by Brian Koberger, could be another bit of circumstantial evidence used by the prosecution to try and prove his guilt in court. There are also videos floating around. One is by a person claiming to be a relative of someone working on the investigation. The male voice shares details about the crime that only someone working on the investigation or the perpetrator would know. Take a listen. To those of you interested in hearing this report, um... I just want to let you know that I'm a relative of someone inside the investigation into um, the quadruple homicide in Idaho. Um, I don't I don't want to be any more specific than that because I don't want to I don't want to put anybody in a challenging or contentious situation regarding their continued employment. Um, and I will say what I'm about to tell you is secondhand, but it is from what I believe to be a very reliable source. Again, this can only be considered a rumor as I don't have first-hand knowledge. I never planned on posting any of this information out of respect for the victim's families. However, now that one of the victim's fathers has released some of the gruesome details himself, I'd like to share some of the um, investigative theory. Um, as you know, the two women were found in the same bed, but um, with similar wounds, that's what's being reported. Um, that's not exactly 100% true. Um, at least in, in, in regard to the fact that they weren't, um, they hadn't fallen to sleep in the same bed. Um, 
one of the victim's wounds were deep gouges that were delivered with extremely aggressive force, so much so that the victim's liver and lungs were destroyed. Um, here's the theory that's happening. Um, they definitely think it was a man because of the force of the wounds. Um, the person must have been strong, very strong. Um, they think the man came into the room after doing what they did on the second floor. They went upstairs. Um, the person cleanly and quietly, I'm unalive to the first victim. The second victim awoke and tried to run. The man, they believe that the, the man possibly grabbed her and she screamed loudly, apparently. Um, the man then harmed her. And the reason the wounds were of such force, he was doing it, he was delivering it quickly and forcibly to quiet her, um, which I apologize for how I know it's disturbing. But anyway, um, how, how do we know that she screamed? Um, because three individuals reported hearing a scream between um, between 3.45 and 4 o'clock. I'm not going to play the entire audio of that, but if you notice, the person speaking takes a lot of deep breaths through his nose. And I hate to say this, but I'm wondering, like in the photos of Brian Koberger, it looks like he has something of a deviated septum. Could that breathing, that very unique stuff that we're hearing, could that be the way he speaks normally? I would think that people who know him would be able to tell if that's his voice. If that is Brian Koberger, it's absolutely bone chilling. And to me, it harkens back to Dennis Rader and his M.O. Throughout his serialist career, Rader sent taunting letters to the police and media in which he described in graphic detail his crimes. Rader got off talking about his crimes. He was proud of these evil acts and wanted to be famous for them. In fact, it was because of Rader's need to communicate about his crimes and his pride and hubris that he got caught. He sent a floppy disk to a Fox TV station in Wichita. A forensic analysis revealed that it had been used by the Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita, and it contained a reference to the name Dennis. An internet search revealed that Dennis Rader was the president of the church council. The jig was up, and Rader's long reign of terror over Wichita was finally over. If these posts and videos are linked back to Brian Kohlberger, and if he is convicted of this crime, it would appear that he, like Dennis Rader, enjoyed his serialist craft, enjoyed talking about each and every detail of the crime, and spent a lot of time reading Reddit posts and watching YouTube videos and news reports about his crime. All of this could spell Kohlberger's motive, which may have been to commit the perfect crime. Sadly, Koberger might have been overly confident in his abilities because it does look like if he's the guy, he's caught. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Now do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, consider a membership, and I'll see you next time. Um, I don't know what number I'm on, but uh, the video of the caller on the podcast, um, I believe that's him. Uh, it sounds exactly like him, in my opinion. Um, I sent it to my brother. 
he said that Brian usually spoke with more clarity and certainty. Um, so he can't be 100% sure if he believes that's him, but I think it sounds exactly like him. Um, and then regarding of the video of the relative um, who posted um, with the reflection of them in their laptop, um, Josco, I think was the name. Um, I don't think that sounds like him. Um, I don't think, I mean, I must have watched that video a hundred times over and I cannot seem to focus on anything in the reflection that won't give it away. Um, I don't think it sounds like him either. Um, but again, I, uh, my brain is mush right now, so it, it could be, it couldn't be, but I really, honest to God, don't think it sounds like him. Um, I can't believe I have to mention this, but my pupils, uh, I had some trolls in the comments seeming to want to blend in the fact that he was a heroin user and my pupils together for some ungodly reason. Um, that's just how they are. I, I don't know what to tell you. It has nothing to do with being on drugs. I take two meds for anxiety, Paxil and some new shit that I just was on the other day. It's like a, a fucking antihistamine. Okay. It has nothing to do with drugs, guys. It's my pupils. They're big. I literally had a bully in high school who would talk to me about how fucking huge my pupils are all the time. It's just the way they are. In the light, they get smaller. Oh, look, they just got bigger. That's just how my pupils are dilated. Please stop talking about it. That's absolutely ridiculous. I've been called an attention seeker. How I posted a TikTok instead of going to the authorities, which again, I went to the authorities, okay? Um, I posted a TikTok out of shock. I posted a TikTok because I was a friend with, of his. I posted a TikTok because I wanted to get my story out. It has nothing to do with attention seeking. I have heavy social anxiety. The last thing I wanted was to get bombarded by a billion people. Okay, um, no, I'm not a fucking attention seeker. I hate it. I hate the attention. As a matter of fact, I'd rather just curl up in a ball right now and cry until the end of time. So thank you for that, trolls. And to add some humor into this, is my last name actually Farts? <laughs> Those comments actually made me laugh, so thank you, I needed that. Um, no, my last name is not Farts, I'm just an immature child. Um, <laughs> uh, I, that's just my user. It has nothing to do with my last name actually being Farts. Um, thank you for the laugh, though. Um, if you have any other questions, um, I'll try to reply and respond to um, comments. And again, I'm not going to repost the video with the photos. I was in shock, I shouldn't have done it. Um, but I'll try to answer any questions I have. Again, I knew him. The last time I saw him was in 2017. It has nothing to do with me wanting attention. I just wanted to get my story out there.